Amen, and it is good and well with our souls. Open your Bibles with me, please, to John chapter 6. Um, talking to a brother last week. You can rise, that's good, for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> um, that John chapter 6 is, if not the, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. And there's almost as many ways to divide this by preachers. There's 71 verses, and you know, one brother that we all know and love preached 28 sermons from John chapter 6. You're going to be stuck with three. This one and two to follow, but what an amazing, amazing book uh, that this is, and an amazing chapter. This morning, we're going to take a look at one day in the life of our Lord, two miracles that happened on that same day, and these two um, <clears throat> miracles are also uh, in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, so you might want to keep a finger stuck in Matthew 14 and one in Mark 6, as we will be turning there throughout our time this morning. For, <clears throat> but right now, let's read together John chapter 6, <clears throat> beginning at verse 1. We'll go verse 1 through 21. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing the, the large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew himself what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had, even, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went to the sea got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough and a, because of a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea coming near the boat and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. 
Lord Jesus, as we look at just one day in your earthly ministry, will you prepare our hearts to appreciate your special care, your special love for your own. Bless the preaching of the word now. May you be lifted up and glorified. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> there are three words in the New Testament <clears throat> that, are, is, that are translated and used for miracles. <clears throat> the first one is miracle itself, which comes from a word that means power, powerful, a unique and special power associated with one that performs a miracle. The second is translated wonder. That has to do with the miracles and how they are received. They are received with wonder and awe, defying natural law and any natural explanation. And finally, the word that John uses in his text for, for miracle is sign. For a miracle that is performed begs, doesn't it, our understanding of its significance. <clears throat> we need also remember that John reminds us that the miracles that he puts in for our use in, the, in his text are just the tip of the iceberg of the ones that Jesus actually performed. <clears throat> We've turned many times so far and will again to John chapter 20 for the reasons why John writes this gospel. But John 20, 30 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. <clears throat> we generally, I believe, greatly un unappreciate what Jesus accomplished in his ministry of miracles. B.B. Warfield, that great Princeton theologian, says in his excellent work, Counterfeit Miracles, which I commend to all of you, B.B. Warfield says this, It has been said that, in effect, the Lord Jesus all but banished disease and death from Palestine for the years of his ministry. He goes on to say, If this is an exaggeration, it's a pardonable exaggeration. And he's right. J Jesus did so many things, and if we, if we head them all to decipher uh, it would be like the sands of the sea, I think, in, it, in their <clears throat> wonder and awe. But we come today to the most significant miracle in the New Testament, <clears throat> with what is known as the feeding of 5,000. Let me quickly, by way of introduction, defend that statement and give you four reasons why I believe, and others do, that this is the most significant uh, miracle in the New Testament. First, it's the only miracle that's mentioned in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at length. <clears throat> Second, no other miracle was affecting and affected so many people. The text specifically says multiple times that there were 5,000 men, not including single women, married women, and children. <clears throat> Most commentators believe that there were between fifteen and 20,000 people on that hill that night that Jesus did this miracle. <clears throat> Thirdly, and I think the strongest evidence, is that it's the only miracle in the New Testament that has its own discourse 
and deep explanation from the Lord following. Over the next two weeks, uh, we will be looking at the details of what's called the Bread of Life Discourse, and that covers John chapter 6, verses uh, John chapter 6, verses 22 through 71, 49 entire verses. No other recorded miracle is given anything like this in the New Testament. And fourth, and and finally, it's the only miracle in the New Testament that is a replication of an Old Testament provisional miracle. And of course, we know and we'll see in the next coming weeks, uh, I'm speaking of the giving and the harvesting of manna by the children in the desert, the children of Israel. So four reasons why this miracle is very, very important. Now, one brief and comment by way of introduction. As we'll see in the coming weeks, this miracle is for all. Jesus says in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And we'll get to that in depth next week. This miracle is for all. Yet, in between the feeding of the 5,000 in verses 1 through 15 and that bread of life discourse in verses 22 through 71, we have a second miracle, the walking on the water in verses 16 through 21. And through both of these miracles that happened in one day in the life of our Lord Jesus, hopefully we'll see the heart and love of Christ first and foremost for his own, you and I, the church. So, on to verse 1, the setting of the miracle. Verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Again, we see, as we've seen every, in every section of John's Gospel, He's giving us the timing and the setting of what he's about to tell us after this. Now, we left Jesus last week, didn't we, And at chapter 5, verse 47, in Jerusalem, making the argument and using four witnesses to prove who he was. <clears throat> that was at least six months ago. So we have a minimum of six months between 547 and 61. The large crowd is following him, and he goes up to the mountain, verse 3, to sit down with his disciples. Matthew 14 gives us some important details here. Matthew 14, verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. What is it that Jesus and his disciples heard that started off this uh, progression? Again, Matthew uh, 14, this time verse 10. He sent and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and 
buried it. And the next verse is, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew. And that's the text that we're in. The exhaustion of the crowds pressing on him was enough, but the death of John the Baptist, the first witness that he gave us last week in chapter 5, his cousin, a friend of the other disciples, was senselessly and brutally murdered. They wanted, as you would expect, to be alone, to decompress, to pray, to gather their thoughts. Would the disciples have been saying, if they did this to John, are are, are we next? John says in verse 3 that they got to a place to rest. Verse 3 in our text, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Now notice how John gives us the detail that the Passover was at hand. What this reminds us of, brothers and sisters, is that we are not reading myths. We are not reading um, any type of a legend. This is not like Pecos Bill making the Rio Grande or Babe the Blue Ox and Paul Bunyan. This is history. Real miracles in a real place at a real time done with real people, in this case, 5,000 or so as witnesses. We are seeing in our time, brothers and sisters, theologians, seminars, and so forth that are searching for the historic Jesus. The goal of these organizations, and I'm speaking specifically about the Jesus Seminar, the search for the historic Jesus, the goal of these organizations unashamedly is this, and I quote, to distinguish between the historical Jesus and the stories that the Gospels tell about him. We want to separate the miracles of Christ from Christ. This is not new. This is what our founding father Thomas Jefferson did in his own Bible. He cut out every single miracle in the Bible, and that was his Bible. And I want to say, for those of us, uh, those among us young people, either in college or perhaps preparing to go, a couple of words. Listen, do not be fooled. Please do not be educated out of your belief in the Bible. As you face the scoffers, you face the elites, you face the naturalists, they will say it's perfectly okay to believe uh, and be a Christian. That's fine. Be religious, but don't believe in miracles. We, we, we can't actually believe that a lot of this happened. The important thing is how it makes us feel, and how we help other people. This is the explanation that we won't go into when it's time on the text, but this is the explanation that people use on how Jesus and why he did the miracle or or why he fed the 5,000. It was the example of the little boy who gave his five loaves and fishes, and everybody was so moved, they all dug in, and they all got their stuff out, and they shared it, and that's it's, it's not how they were fed. The important thing is the togetherness and all of that. Young person, don't be fooled. Listen to your old pastor. 
Believe the Bible. It's true. Verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that the crowd was large and coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Yes, this text is about the ministering to the masses. No doubt about it. Yes, it's about the compassion of our Lord Jesus for others, his marvelous provision. But in the midst of this exhaustion of ministry, Jesus' prime concern is for his own. Look at verse 6. Jesus said this to Philip to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. In the confusion, in the turmoil, Jesus is not only revealing himself to the masses, he's teaching his disciples. And look what we learn here in Mark's account of this, in Mark 6.35. Mark 6.35 says, And when it grew late, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the hour is late. Listen. Send them away to go get something in the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Send them away, Jesus. That was the answer. That was what Philip and the others had said before that. No, we need to take care of them, Jesus teaches Philip. But Philip says, if, even if we pool our resources, we don't have enough. And even if we could find some place to buy the store, you know, buy a store or whatever to find that much, you know, we, we could only afford enough to just barely give people a bite. We don't have enough. Then verse 6 Jesus knows what he would do. Now the miracle, verse 8. And we see this only in the book of John. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here, I learned this in my King James as, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fishes. And he says that and we think, good on you, Andrew, Perhaps he's thinking, uh, that's all the Lord would need, just five loaves and two fishes to feed this. He, we've seen him do all kinds of miracles. But then he says, but what are they for so many, dashing our hopes that one of the disciples gets it? But here comes the lesson. Jesus takes over. Verse 10, have the people sit down. He's taking control. Just have them sit down. And here's the intensity of the miracle. Uh, Mark adds this in Mark 6:40. So they had them sit down in groups of 50s and hundreds. They sat them down in groups of 50s. And just think of the logistics, just for a moment. If there were 15,000 people on that hillside, and they separated them into groups of 50, that would be 300 groups of 50 people. You know, I love Alistair Begg at this point in this text. He says this, and I quote, Some of you may have to forgive me for a use of a bit of allegory from time to time, but don't wait for an apology in this text. <laughs> 
He says, I'm going to allegorize a little bit, but it needs to be. Luke adds this in Luke chapter 9. Taking the five loaves, just listen to the words, brothers and sisters. Taking the five loaves and two fishes and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Paul says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread. And when he he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. It may be hard to miss the symbolism here, but we don't have 300 groups of 50 here today. We have maybe 350 total. But every week, the disciples, in our case, the elders, distribute the meal to God's people as a special provision. But who are we? Are we the ones that take the bread and pass it? Jesus is the bread of life. I think we can make application of that. That Jesus gives us the word. We then distribute it amongst our friends and people and help that draw them to Christ. But I think, brothers and sisters, in this scenario, we are the tired ones. We are the hungry ones. We are the ones that are weak and weary. We are the ones that are following Jesus, the ones that need nourishment, sustenance, and the strength that he can provide. And we think of that miracle now. Okay, keep them coming. One basket, filled, go, filled, go. Just the logistics to get to 300 groups of 50 or more people to distribute this. Basket after basket after basket until verse 12 said they had eaten their fill. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, 12 baskets full of scraps from five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, John says. That's miracle one. But the day isn't over yet. Look at verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. We will see over the next two weeks this bread of life discourse, how Jesus explains those words, I am the bread of life. But it's clear that the majority there missed it. From now on till the end of chapter 6, Jesus' words will get stronger and stronger, and the crowds will begin to go away, little by little by little, until Jesus says to these same disciples, will you also go away? Verse 15, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew to the mountain and by himself. And verse 16, when the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across, to the, across the sea to Capernaum. In John's account, it sounds like, doesn't it, 
that Jesus goes up to the mountain to be alone. He sends the disciples to go down in a boat and go uh, while he is going to pray. But Matthew adds this in Matthew 14, 22, and look at this carefully. Immediately, this is Jesus, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds and after he had dismissed the crowds, then he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. That word is very strong. It's force. It's compel. It's insist. Oh, this changes how we perceive this miracle, I think. Just like the first miracle, Jesus not only knows what is going to happen, he sends them out. He not only sends them out, he forces, compels, insists that they go. And they get in the boat, and they go, Jesus all along knowing what's coming in the skies that they cannot see on the sea there. Again, we say amen to Alistair Begg. Look at what we have here, brothers and sisters. The day is over. Everyone is exhausted. Jesus puts his own on a boat, sends them on a journey, while he retreats onto the mountain to be alone with his Father while those he loves, his own body, are headed directly into the storms that he knows are surely coming. Is this not where we live every day? Where is Jesus Christ right now? We say it when we recite the Apostles' Creed together every month. He ascended into heaven and is where? seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, the alive and the dead. Where are we? We are sent, we are commanded, we go. And look at our text in verse 18. The sea became rough because of a strong wind was blowing, and when they had rowed about three or four miles. We know from Matthew it's the fourth watch. It's now the middle of the night, somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. Mark adds this. They were beaten by the waves. He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And here, for our title, the NIV says here, and I think it's so beautiful. He says that the disciples were straining at the oars. What a great explanation. Straining at the oars, going nowhere, just straining for four hours out in this gale, worried for their lives. After the day that they just had, hearing about the John, their exhaustion of, of ministering to the people, people with messed up eschatology, they wanted to make Jesus king right then, being sent by Jesus on onto that boat, and now they're like, are we too going to perish in these storms? And Jesus, where are you? Where are you, Jesus? I can't row anymore. We're not making headway. 
You may say, all I have wanted was for my children to be believers. Lord, I don't care that I get cancer, but why my wife? Why my child? Why would you... Why would you give me a husband that gets cancer? How am I going to take care of myself now? All I want is just a spouse. Why did you give me this spouse? I'm so lonely, I don't know that I can go on another day. I'm so unhappy, Lord, Will you ever change my circumstances? What are you saying in your boat when the storms come? And they come. Is it any help knowing that it's Jesus that puts you in that boat? It's Jesus that sent you out on that lake. Everything that's happened to you is from the sovereign hand of someone who actually loves you. Would that change your outlook? Did it change their outlook? Will we perish too by these storms? Where are you, Jesus? Just like the disciples, our ships were sent and are under the direct control of the one who loves us. Oh, the pain is real. The suffering is real. The anxiousness and the worry is real. It's as real for those disciples in that situation as it is for us today. But look at our text, verse 19. When they rowed for about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Now listen to how Matthew and Mark put it. And if you will allow me, let's let the Bible itself be the final points in this sermon. Let's just look at the text and see what it says. And we'll end with these. First, Matthew 14, verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Are there any better words than that in the New Testament? Take heart. It is I. I'm here. Do not be afraid. And the only only gospel writer that puts Peter in this is Matthew. And we know what Peter does. Lord, if it is you, command me that I may come to the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, came to Jesus. but But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, like he wasn't afraid before. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reaches out his hand, took a hold of him, and said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And look at this. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Does that mean that eventually the wind is going to cease in your boat? Yes, it does. But just like them, you don't know when. But you do know when it does cease, Jesus will cease it. 
And those that were in the vote, verse 33, worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Now Mark's ending. Mark 6, starting at verse 46. And after he had taken leave of them, he went on the mountain to pray. And when the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. Jesus was with his father on the land. And when he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. And it is here, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that the sermon ends. Take heart. It is me, and he gets into the boat with them, and the wind ceases. Jesus was with them all the time. He's with you on the boat in your storms whenever they come up. The pastor says, let's pray. We can say amen now. Go to the Lord's Supper. Have the benediction. Over lunch, we can talk about this how the Lord is with us all the time. And John ends our text in verse 21. Then they all were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Whoa, is this another hydroplaning miracle? It says immediately. It could be. I don't know. But the point is just this. Just like our trips, Brothers and sisters, just like the journey that you're on with the Lord, He is going to get you to the land which you are going. He's going to get you there. Amen, 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 we shout. All is good. And I, as a preacher, say amen. But we need to finish Mark 51. For as Paul Harvey used to say, this is the rest of the story. You remember that. Look at verse 50 of Mark, Mark chapter 6. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were astounded. And look at verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were still hardened. Oh, when will they learn? They had just participated, distributed in the, the, the greatest arguable miracle in the entire Bible. Twelve baskets of fragments from the loaves and the fishes. Just in the space of a few hours. They believe Jesus has abandoned them. We're desperately afraid. The hearts of those who had Jesus' heart were still hardened. 
Brothers and sisters, are we not the same works in progress that these disciples were? How about you? Are you a follower of Christ this morning? Have you seen and believe and perhaps even experienced His miracle of salvation for you? Yet the boat goes in and out of heavy water, doesn't it? You bail, you try to keep afloat, and you strain at the oars yourself. Will you open your eyes, see him standing near the boat, and his message is the same to you as it is to them? It is me. Be not afraid. He has calmed the raging seas. Allow him to calm the raging seas of your heart this morning. And you, within the sound of this message today, you face the same raging storms of life, the same winds, but you do it alone. You don't know him. You face these raging storms by your own strength, your own self-reliance, and your own schemes. How is that working out? Oh, are you truly afraid? And are you truly tired of straining at your oars and getting nowhere? But aren't you, like them, just exhausted? He is the bread of life. He is here. It's time for you to throw away your oars. You bring nothing to your salvation, seeker, this morning. You bring nothing to your salvation except the sin that put Jesus on the cross of Calvary. That's what your offering is. Humble yourself. Reach out for help. Don't be embarrassed. Every one of us in this room has been where you are. The Lord came into this world to save sinners. You qualify. Come. Find rest in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for these miracles. We thank you that we don't feel embarrassed because even your own did not even understand the miracle that they saw and participated in. Yet it's coming. Your teaching on you being the bread of life, the Holy Spirit transforming these young believers into powerful witnesses for you. Heavenly Father, you are so amazing that even the troubles, even the trials, even the things that we see, you put in front of us. And you know, help us to trust you. Help us to know, as was taught to these, that you will get us to the city in which 
we are going. Amen. Amen and amen. Let's turn and sing our...